O little town of Bethlehem. And the song we just sang is one of the most beloved of all Christmas carols, and it is actually one of the few carols that is American in origin. It was composed by one of the finest preachers of the 19th century, an Episcopal priest by the name of Phillips Brooks, who lived from 1835 to 1898. He was a large, imposing man. He was about six foot four and weighed 300 pounds. He was known for his physical strength, but even more for the, the strength and the inspiration of his messages. He pastored the well-known historic Church of the Holy Trinity in Philadelphia during uh, the, the bloody years of the American Civil War. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to be, have been a pastor at that time, to deal with all the country's distress and the fear, the uncertainty, all the division. Brooks was constantly ministering to widows, so many of the men came home uh, in caskets. It was an incredible time. And then just when things were looking up, looking up for the North, President Lincoln was assassinated. And the Sunday after his assassination, Phillips Brooks preached a remarkable sermon eulogizing President Lincoln. And uh, everybody was in shock and uh, everybody came and they were looking for comfort, and uh, everybody was wearing black. And one commentator writes that when Phillips Brooks stood up behind the pulpit, beginning slowly, almost fearfully wading into his subject, Phillips Brooks said at the start of his sermon, I can only promise to speak calmly, conscientiously, affectionately, it's the great boon of such characters as Mr. Lincoln that they reunite what God has joined together and man has put asunder. In President Lincoln was vindicated the greatness of real goodness and the goodness of real greatness. I've kind of been pondering that turn of phrase. I like that turn of phrase because isn't that what we all long for? The greatness of real goodness and the goodness of real greatness. You can find a sermon on, online, actually. Uh, it's considered to be a sermonic masterpiece. And also, Phillips Brooks uh, wrote a book on preaching that preachers still read today. Well, you can imagine Phillips Brooks was emotionally, spiritually spent, uh, and so he needed a sabbatical. So at the end of 1865, he traveled to the Holy Land to, to restore his faith and to rediscover joy. And on Christmas Eve, he was riding on a horse from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is about a six-mile journey or so, when he was suddenly struck by an overwhelming sense of God's presence. I guess it was, a, it was dusk and all the stars were shining, and, and he was riding along, rode into Bethlehem. And then he walked into the church in the Nativity in Bethlehem, and he was filled with a sense of awe and wonder. Brooks wrote in his diary, I remember standing in the old church in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born, when the whole church was singing hour after hour splendid hymns of praise to God, 
It seemed as if I could hear voices telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth. He told his family that his experience was so profound that he would be forever singing in his soul. Well, Brooks came back to Philadelphia, spiritually renewed, but he had a hard time trying to communicate to his congregation what a meaningful experience it was. Uh, he was a lover of children, and he especially wanted to tell the children how special it was to be in the place where he was born. And uh, so he thought about how to communicate it, uh, especially to children, and uh, he thought about his experience. He, took, he wrote down some notes, and then he wrote this poem that was later set to a tune composed by the church organist, Louis Redner. The carol was first sung by the Sunday School Children's Choir of Trinity Church, Philadelphia, on Christmas Eve, 1868. And today it's sung in virtually every church throughout the land this time of year, right? They also sing it in England, but they sing it to a different tune. They use, I think it's Forest Green, a different kind of tune. The little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The focus of this little carol is on the little town of Bethlehem and upon the light that's shone above it. Now, it's really surprising that God should, should choose that place, Bethlehem, of all places, to come into the world. Strange that he should not come to Rome or to Athens or to Alexandria, the world's great cities, but to that little town of Bethlehem, a forgotten place out of the way, an obscure corner of the Roman Empire. And he was born not in a palace, but in a crude stable or, or cave, placed in a manger, which is nothing more than a stone feeding trough for animals. Now, to be sure, Mar Micah predicted great things would come from this small town. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Rachel was born in Bethlehem. King David was born here. But to the rest of the world, Bethlehem was uh, a place of no account. It was small and significant, so insignificant, probably wouldn't even show up on the map. But isn't that how God often works? God uses the seem seemingly insignificant to do some truly significant things. God seems to favor using the weak and the lowly, the unlikely to accomplish his will. It's true not only of places, but of people. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this principle in 1 Corinthians where he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. 
Now, if you and I were God and we were out to save the world, we would choose the movers and shakers of society, right? We would choose people who know how to get things done. But no, God comes to the likes of Mary and Joseph, simple, working-class people. And the news of his coming comes first to humble shepherds out watching their flock by night. And he came to Bethlehem, of all places. It seems that God delights in using the Bethlehems of life. That is, he uses little towns and little people in big ways. And it's always been God's way. God chose two very weak, very elderly senior adults named Abraham and Sarah to be the source from whom an entire nation would spring. He used a boy named Joseph who was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers to rule the nation of Egypt and eventually provide a food source for his people. God used a baby named Moses found in the reeds among the banks of the Nile River to win the heart of Pharaoh's daughter so that Israel eventually could have a great leader to deliver Israel from bondage. God made a shepherd boy named David into Israel's greatest king. He used the skimpy lunch of another boy to feed 5,000 people on a hillside in Galilee. He used an old rugged Roman cross to provide the way for our sins to be forgiven. And then he used 12 uneducated men to turn the world upside down with that message. So, do you know what that means for you and for me? There is no one here who is too small or too insignificant or too untalented for God to accomplish great tasks through us for his kingdom. Henry Blackaby says, if you feel weak, limited, or ordinary, then you are the best material through which God can work. So next time you sing, O little town of Bethlehem, may you remember this fact. Great things came out of Bethlehem, and great things can come from simple, ordinary people like you and me if we humbly offer ourselves to him. So not only did God come into the world in an unexpected way, in an unexpected place, and surprisingly to ordinary, lowly people, but he came just when everything seemed at their darkest, their bleakest. And everything seemed pretty darn hopeless. Jesus was born in a world of fear. He came to a world marked by apathy, by cruelty, violence, and oppression. The world was very dark indeed. But on that Christmas night long ago, the star was shining over Bethlehem, and the light that gives life to everyone came into the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. So can't you imagine Phillips Brooks riding on his horse from Jerusalem to Bethlehem with his heart heavy from all that he had experienced recently in his own life and in the life of his country, torn by civil war, riding into Bethlehem, reminding himself and us all, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 
Now, the world may seem to be a very dark place indeed. What with terrorism and the kinds of things that happen in Paris and San Bernardino, and racial turmoil, and political and cultural division, and economic worries, and then all the other worries that we have, illness, accident, financial reversals, so on. Yeah, the world can seem like a very dark place. But the good news is that all our hopes and fears are met in Jesus, whose grace is sufficient for our every need. He brings peace to our troubled souls and light to our dark world. So how can you and I find this peace and live in this light? How can God use us, lowly people that we are, to make a difference in this troubled, dark world? By allowing him to be born anew in our hearts, where meek souls will receive him, Christ enters in. The last stanza of the carol puts it so well. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter and be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. What a, a magnificent prayer to, approach, to use and to pray as we approach the Lord's table. Here we are reminded that the Lord is Emmanuel, God with us, and he feeds us like a shepherd over his people. He tends to our needs. But we come and we say, Lord, be born in me today. When meek souls receive him, he will enter in. That is his promise. And then we allow him to change our hearts. Someone has said, what would it matter if Christ were born a thousand times in Bethlehem if he were not born in human hearts today? I mean, indeed, what would it matter then it becomes just a nice little celebration of light and darkness and just a general cheer. It's all about God coming into the world in Jesus to deal with the world's problem, with the human sin problem. The heart curved in upon itself, selfishness, self-centeredness, pride. Lord, cast out our sin. Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin. And enter in. Be born in us today. May that be the prayer for us for this season. May that be our prayer coming days. May that be our prayer now as we come to the Lord who gives us what we need to live for him, to live in his light. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. 
cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen.